According to Roy Morgan Research, only 5% of Australians over the age of 14 rate real estate agents as honest and ethical. That's woeful. And we're third last on the list. Marginally more trusted than advertising people and car salesmen. But unbelievably, we're ranked even lower than talkback radio announcers and politicians. Why do real estate agents have such a bad reputation? Welcome to The Elephant in the Room. This is the podcast where we love to talk about the big things in property that never usually get talked about. I'm Veronica Morgan, real estate agent, buyer's agent, co-host of Foxtel's Location, Location, Location Australia and author of Auction Ready. And I'm Chris Bates, mortgage Broker. Before we get started, I need to let you know that nothing we say on here can be taken as personal advice. We always recommend you engage the services of a professional. Don't forget that you can access the transcript for this episode on the website as well as download our free full or forecast report. Which experts can you trust to get it right? The elephant in the room.com.au. Today, I'm joined by John Cunningham, and we're going to tackle an enormous elephant, how and why real estate agents and the industry really has the reputation it does, and why it's so out of step with the importance of this asset class in both economic and social terms. Now, we've met with John before. Back in episode 12, we discussed the future of the real estate industry and pressing need for reform. And again, in episode 122, at the beginning of the first lockdown, where we pondered the challenges facing trusted advisors in an uncertain world and whether real estate agents were equipped for their role. And in case you don't know John, he has a long and distinguished career as a salesperson, auctioneer, and principal of his own agency, Cunningham's, on Sydney's Northern Beaches. And he's also made significant significant impact on the industry as a whole, including a two-year term as president of the REI New South Wales and taking on the role as chairman of the Professionalism Committee of the Real Estate Institute of Australia. So welcome, John. You are very well equipped to have this conversation with me. Can we kick Thanks, off with <laughs> can we kick off with an update on the Pathway to Professionalism project? As I suspect we may gain some clues to the issue of trustworthiness right there. Yeah, look, it's been a long, arduous journey and it's it's had a, you know, we, we tried to take a national approach to it, which just failed because we couldn't get agreement across the states, who would have thought? Um, and so we brought that back into New South Wales through the REI NSW uh, and we're now just pretty much pulling it apart and putting it back together for, for the, you know, the 2020s, so to speak. So um, that, that's been a, a really interesting journey because it does come back to the core issue of, of behaviours in the industry. And then it's about are we actually prepared to be held accountable? And that's a question that I think we've, we've been trying to have answered for a long, long time is as an industry, are we prepared to be held accountable? And the answer has come back pretty resoundingly as a, as a, as a general answer is no. Um, there is too many people that don't want to be held accountable uh, for us to actually forge meaningful change that will have a significant impact on that that ranking. Um, so therefore, it's not it's it's like oh, is it is the horse bolted? Is it too, are we ever going to get there? It just requires us to take a different approach, and, and I think that's that's what I'd like to sort of explore with you today. Is well, what does that different approach look like? What does the consumer actually uh, require from us? Um, and how do we achieve it? I'm really, really interested in this, and not just on a professional level, but a personal level. In in February 2021, I sat down and wrote, started writing in my journal, and one of the things I wrote in my journal was, are my values out of step with the industry in which I'm in? And um, it's a, it's been a personal challenge um, because 
you know, I just feel like I'm banging my head up against a brick wall. And you must have a massively bloodied forehead compared to <laughs> what I have, you know. Very bruised. <laughs> Very bruised, yeah. Um, I guess before we go into the pathway forward, I am curious to know how you've, how you've managed to sort of pull your socks off and say, even though I'm so disillusioned by my industry, um, I'm still going to find a way to actually provide a better outcome for consumers. And, and for those, I guess, in the industry who do want to stand up and be accountable, who are prepared to be accountable and want to be professional, how have you, on a personal level, if you don't mind me asking, <laughs> you know, looked at this and said, I'm not going to give up? How is it that you haven't given up? Yeah, look, look, it is it is one of those things where you you. My wife asks me that question all the time. You know, um, why haven't you given up? But <laughs> look, the reality is, I'm of the view that it's like compliance. It's just as easy to comply with something as it is to find a way not to comply with it. It's the same with with um, values. You know, the, the reality is that, that people's values are skewed by a whole lot of beliefs that they've either been brought up with or they've, or they've been trained in uh, to understand as to how they um, go about what they do in their, in their day-to-day life and their work. So, therefore, the reality is it's actually quite simple. The solution's quite simple. Um, it's, it's just requiring a complete uh, mind shift. Now, I'm of the view that that mind shift that, that will occur will be in small chunks and it will be the cumulative effect of that that we will see where the significant uh, change will take place. And if you look at a couple of things, and I, I look back and go, okay, what, what have we achieved so far? What we've achieved so far is that the language in the, in the, in the market and the language in the industry has changed significantly in the last two years. Um, the approach to um, dollars and cents at all cost has, has changed to an extent, particularly in the world of real estate training and education. Um, the, the concept that um, you know, the consumer comes first is becoming more and more and more prevalent in, in conversations. And, and you've got to look at you know, the online environment, for example. But it's not going to change behaviours overnight. It's going to gradually um, get to a place where there's a different path. Now, I've, I've taken some people on my team who work for our businesses recently, and I'm happy to uh, de I won't say the brands, but I'm having to extract them from that that those the way they were trained those brands. Deprogram them, is that what you say? Deprogram them, <laughs> yeah. Um, and it is a fascinating exercise because the the reality of how we go about doing our business on a day to day basis is so transparent that they've just shocked mm. shocked at the transparency that we provide. And to me, it's like well, and for my team, it's like well. Isn't that how you should do it? Isn't that the mm. normal way to go about things? Can you give you an example? Things, well, yeah, look, for example, we've, we, I've always been of the view um, that uh, in, a, in a negotiation process, there should be full transparency on all offers. In other words, there's no special favours. There's nothing um, uh, that, that should be not disclosed. In other words, we disclose, disclose always have, this for my whole career, I've disclosed all information to buyers so they can make a, a value judgment based on the right information. Um, That's an agreement I set up with the vendors that that's how we're going to do it and we believe we get the best outcomes as a result of that. Uh, That concept I've been told for years, that's illegal. That's this just biggest load of nonsense you ever can imagine. Um, And so, you know, this is a a set of values that we've determined um, uh, both from an ethical perspective uh, and also from a practical perspective. The irony is, and as you as a buyer's agent would know, that if you're given great information 
you're going to be able to advise your clients to make better decisions. So if I give you that transparency and that openness and honesty about what's happening, um, you know, ironically, often that, you know, more money's paid for a property. Not ironically, but it's the reality that, you know, that's that's the outcome. The outcome is better information, better decisions, better outcome for our vendor. So it makes sense. It's a practical decision. But for me, um, as, as over the years, I constantly, constantly, constantly get people ringing me up complaining about other agents. And the number one thing is the lack of transparency. Mm. And therefore, lack of transparency leads to distrust. 100%. I mean, truth, transparency, trust. That's what we need more of. Now, yeah. it, you know, as a buyer's agent, obviously, I deal with different agents all the time. And, and I remember when we first interviewed you back in episode 12, which is very early days, um, you know, and, and I remember you talking about the rules of engagement, you know, and a lot of really good practiced, um, pragmatic, really, it's quite pragmatic, um, but professional agents, that's what they do. They have a way of, in fact, even the ones that are a bit dodgy have a way of doing, <laughs> doing it as a method. It's consistent dodginess, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's just, yeah. Um some are really dodgy and they've got no rules. It's just the Wild West. But generally speaking, those that are even aren't transparent will still have a way of doing things. They will still have. And that's why, you know, a practice buyer's agent will actually learn to interpret what's being said to them. Oh, I know what's going on here, you know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, I, I laugh whenever there's one particular agent that, that likes to say, oh, I had an offer coming overnight. I mean, that's just remarkable how many offers you get overnight. Like, what do people do? <laughs> Wake up at 2 a.m. and send you an offer? Really? <laughs> and that's where the, the whole distrust comes from. It's like, okay, I've got to play this game again, you know? Yeah. And it's like, it doesn't have to be that way. I mean, we, we're only talking about this at our SARS meeting this morning where I, where, or, I, or I read the Riot Act on, on a few compliance issues, which I regularly do uh, because people just form bad habits. They form bad habits over COVID and haven't done certain things, and I'm, mm. I'm a stickler for those things. Um, but, you know, they were talking about the the fact that they've had a few buyers lately want to see the evidence of other offers, mm. and we're quite open and transparent, you know, reduct the names and things like that, but we open and say, yeah, we're happy to share it to you because we actually collect everything in writing and we're, here it is. And, and um, you know, when, when we do that and people ask for it, and they go, oh, wow, no one else has been prepared to, to do that. So, of course, there's going to be distrust in that yeah. environment. Well, though, funnily enough, the same agent that actually has the offers coming overnight, um, that's all in the preamble, you know, so there's there's a way in which to get buyers making offers, you know, there's that, oh, that's not a real offer, that's just an offer, that's bait as opposed to a real offer. And I think, yeah. and, and then once the offers are real, then they actually will provide evidence, which is interesting. But but this is the thing all about the lack of transparency and lack of trust because, you know, you don't know. How do you trust if somebody's actually telling you the truth versus someone, another agent that isn't telling the truth? You know, it's the first person that deals with Cunningham's first time that they deal with Cunningham's and then all of a sudden the agent's been transparent and they're used to dealing with agents that they can't trust and they don't know whether they're being transparent or not. How, how can the average consumer tell the difference? And I, I know over time they'll go, oh, yeah, I get it now. But you have to be in the market for a period of time and dealing with a number of different agents before you can actually start assessing and ranking people. You know what I mean? And that that, that is part of the problem, isn't it? Well, it's part of the problem. And what happens is as an industry, um, we are our own worst enemy in that space because what, what happens is when you get enough consumer concerns um, in the right politicians' ears, there's going to be regulation put in place to control that. Um, and then everyone will complain about the 
the regulation. You know, why do we have underquoting laws? Because we underquoted. Uh, you know, why do we have material fact laws? Because we were deceptive. All these things happen as a as a result of of the behaviours and experiences that people have. So, this example of the office and and, and that sort of thing could end up being a regulatory environment. You know, the, that this is how it exists. Um, so. You know, if we go about it doing the right thing, we don't require the regulation. But when we keep doing stupid things, and I say I call it stupid things because it is just as easy to do it well, but it's in the it starts in the education. It always starts with the education. So you you put in play which we've we've now got in New South Wales a, a new environment of of training education. It will take time for that to have. An impact. Um, there's a new uh, compliance regime that goes with that. There's new supervision guidelines that go with with that in New South Wales that are all filtering through over the last couple of years, which will have a cumulative impact in that regulatory environment. But then it's actually people complying with that with that space. So. Then we look at, okay, what's the cumulative impact of that training when you get people coming in with better education? Oh, I actually understand the laws that I'm, I'm working around. In other words, it's a privilege to have a real estate agent's licence. I don't think a lot of people actually realise that. They don't realise the privilege that they've got um, and, the, and so therefore they don't value it the mm. way they should value it, nor do they value losing it. So personally, I'd love to see a whole lot of people lose their licences um, and, and really get smashed and then we'd be like, oh, actually this is real. Um, because until you actually, unfortunately for some people, until it actually hits their, their pocket, um, or hits their uh, livelihood, they don't change behaviour. So they don't, in other words, they don't consider the impact they have been on others. So there's, as we know in society, there's all kinds of different people. Some people don't care about others, they only care about themselves. So we're never going to change that, but we have to build things around it to uh, ensure that the consumer has not only recourse, but also has some level of uh, transparency built into the way that we do business. Um, we had uh, our, our finance broker here this morning talking to us about the regulatory environment that they have um, and why do they have the regulatory environment they have? They had the Banking Royal Commission, um, which changed massive levels of behaviours within that, that industry. I keep saying to the industry, do we want to have a Real Estate Royal Commission one day? I mean, it might sound silly. Who knows? Um, but that's, that's the sort of thing that's like, it's in our control to do something about it. But it will take time, and that's why this is a really long answer to a very short question, Veronica, <laughs> about why am I still doing this, is because I see it as a long-term bit of a legacy thing that, um, that will carry on and will gradually change. And I'm, I'm liking what I'm seeing because I've now got to a point where I'm not expecting things to happen overnight. <laughs> I, and I hope you're right. I really do truly hope you're right, and, and you know, I'm vocal about this sort of stuff so you know whatever we can do to lend ourselves to help this along i mean a couple of things there one the whole legislation and and the legislative or the restrictive environment that could happen unfortunately i don't have a lot of huge amount of faith in our regulatory body in new south wales anyway because so, for for instance you know the underquoting laws are joke you know like they're just so easy to get around and 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 you see it all the time. Agents get around it. And, and even if they don't get around it, there's a cavalier attitude in many cases. And I've heard this, and I don't know, I've only heard sort of talk about this, so I've got no evidence, that, you know what, they never actually apply the big fines. They just apply small fines, as a, supposedly as a deterrent, and we just take them on as a cost of doing business. You yeah. Know. 
And that, and that is exactly what's happening, except in, in Victoria, where Victoria takes it through um, mm. federal law, uh, through the Australian Consumer Law, um, on misleading and deceptive conduct, which is basically what it, what it is. And, but even so, the agents that were, had the big fines still carry on as if nothing happened. Um, so, you know, it's, it's like, well, did they actually lose their licences? No. no. It's bizarre. They had those huge fines and no impact on their state, state laws in terms of their licences. So, yes, I think the paper dragon concept um, of, of, of fair trading in New South Wales in that they apply the small fines, they don't really go hard. Um, and, you know, we had a very high-profile case here a few years ago which got off on a technicality. Um, but they had an actual opportunity to, to take yeah. that much, much further and failed to do so. So it is a little bit of a, oh, yeah, you know, it doesn't really mean anything. They won't do anything. Um, and therefore, it just self-perpetuates. So, yeah. yes, the regulator has the power. They don't seem to have the appetite uh, to gather enough information um, and enough evidence to to pursue. So, yeah, I, you know, even though they've got new legislation to work with and all that sort of stuff, there will be stuff in there that they could take action on, but will they? Yeah, I, I just don't. Don't get it. And then I think, therefore, there's a cavalier attitude. It's like, yeah, must have been business. It doesn't matter. We won't get caught. We'll be fine. Um, and, and therefore, they just carry on regardless and justify um, whatever they're doing um, by that attitude. I wonder if the Office of Fair Trading is a little bit naive, actually. You know, it's, it's like they're not, they don't have the commercial nous to, to really see how it plays out it in is the world. an interesting bit. Um, our friend who was at ICAC, um, and uh, her boyfriend, Fair Trading referred it to the minister. The minister said, not enough evidence. Um, and our friend Tim McKibben said, well, you haven't asked the right questions to get the evidence. So it'll be mm. interesting to see where ICAC comes out with that yeah. because that's the classic case of, of something where you go, what? The regulator didn't act on, on a clear case. of All they had to ask was three questions to get the answers to understand the evidence to investigate. Is that what they're applying across the board? Mm. Because they can be very sort of aggressive in coming into, into offices and putting warnings and doing all of that. But, you know, it's still not the point. You know, the point is we need to actually have a requirement um, uh, in, within those offices, particularly around the audit space and, and um, the compliance space, where we need to actually provide more evidence of what we're doing. Because at the moment... You know, they're just not. We've had investigations here on on, on claims of underquoting, um, and you know, we've, we've never had a fine or a warning because we've can prove that we actually weren't underquoting. But we've also had the random inspections, and and they haven't found anything untoward. I even had one of them say to me, "I think you do too much. <laughs> Compli- you you actually go beyond what we need to do." I go, "Well, I think it's essential that we." That we do that for the for our consumer protection. So it's, it is a bit of a strange space to be in because it is. It's like it, it, they don't they haven't got any teeth. No, no, well, they have teeth, but they don't use them. Well, yeah, and, and you know, I look at the New South Wales Building Commissioner, and, you know, and what David Chandler is doing in that in the construction space, and it's like there's a set of sharp teeth. I mean, that guy is is inspiration for really what I think needs to happen in in the real well, estate space. we put forward, as you're probably aware, the legislation for a property commissioner, mm. um, which was defeated. Um, and then the minister in his wisdom said, oh, yes, we'll create a property commissioner um, just to keep us quiet. 
the property commissioner has no power, mm. has ha, can do nothing. All he is is a conduit between fair trading and the minister. That's not a property commissioner. No. You know, the, David Chandler's a, a property commissioner who has the teeth to make those decisions. So we wanted to actually completely turn this upside down with a proper property commissioner in a space that is such a critical part of the New South Wales economy. Um, and it was just fobbed off. Mm. Uh, it was an extraordinary experience to go through. We had the support um, uh, of, of a lot of people but just couldn't get the, the, the vote uh, across the line in the lower house. So it was just one of those things to go, well, you know, what are you going to do to try and look after people when you've got a government that doesn't support industry wanting to reform? It's, it's crazy. Well, you've got to think about it. In the actual build space, it took, you know, Opal Towers, Mascot Towers and a number of others before they actually started doing, taking it seriously. So in, in the actual, uh, you know, real estate space, you know, I, I scratched my head. But uh, I think the other thing you're talking about that, okay, so the, they did increase the standards or the, the, the bar, the barrier to entry, if you like, in terms of licensing. And that's a good thing. They, and particularly in the buyer's agent space as well, you know, what it means is you can't go and get your five-day license and then suddenly trade yeah. uh, and operate your own buyer's agency. Zero experience, plenty of people out there. And the legacy is of all There's that. There's heaps of them in the industry. Yes, yeah, yeah that, that's the legacy of this, that, that for years, for a good decade at least, it's been so easy to get in. Um, so at least now you've got to work for someone who's, who's a licensee in charge for a, a number of years, two years basically, and yeah. then maybe, right? Uh, then you've got to become a licensee in charge yourself. Fine, that's great. But you got 10 years of licensee in charges and they just grandfathered, you know, all these um, qualifications as well. Yeah. You got, there's a whole bunch of people out there. So I could go and get my license brand new, fresh, fresh as a daisy, go in there, get my license. I need to go and work for somebody else for two years. I could go and work for somebody who knows less than I do about compliance. Correct. And you got nothing, and they'll tick every box for you, and off you go. Yeah, and look, that that is the the the, the sad fact of it. Like, if you make any significant change, you are going to have a lag time um, to to actually see a, an effect of that. So, again, a long term strategy. The other byproduct of that is that it's starting to be applied in other states as well. So, the New South Wales model being applied elsewhere, uh, because you know um, South Australia was actually better than the New South Wales was. Tasmania was 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 the best. Victoria's picked up our model. Uh, Queensland looked like like they're going to go that path as well. So, it's like a game of inches, but it's actually a mile long. <laughs> So, uh, you yeah. know, it's, it's just, okay, we'll do this, we'll do this, we'll do this, we'll keep getting better. Um, and, yes, it would be very easy to, to give up and say it's just not worth it. Uh, and, uh, and we've got so close to that, so close to that, just saying heck, to heck with it, it's just not worth the, the effort. But we're just in the view now that if we can just constantly make these changes, we might get the opportunity to make a big change. Like the property commissioner would have been that. It was so close. Um, that maybe after the next election it might. It's, we're not letting that go because the concept is critical to make proper changes and actually have teeth in that environment. Um, and and so yes, these things will play out. We to get from that bo third bottom ranking um, in that environment uh, is an interesting space because we could look at, 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 at our consumer reviews, for example. So we get reviews for probably ninety percent of our of our sellers and maybe 70 to 80 percent of our, our buyers which is a really high level mm. of, of, of review so um they're all going you're wonderful you're fantastic thank you so much um but 
the reality is when you can, when you survey real estate um, about real estate people, uh, the most active people in the in the market are actually people renting who are going in and out of rental properties mm. all the time. On average, people are, are living in apartments for ten years on houses for fifteen years in Sydney now, so they're not going to be experiencing those services that often. So anyone who who has an experience of 20 years ago, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, uh, recalling their experience from then. Um, I believe the level of um, or the standard of of, uh, skill uh, and professionalism that I'm seeing emerging from the quality agents is the best it's ever been. Um, So there is a, and as you probably know, there's a great divide between really good agents uh, and, and average agents and really good buyers agents and average buyers agents um, so you go okay if, if the if the really good agents are providing these incredible experiences and people are saying you're worth every cent you're this you're, you've done an amazing job I could have done it without you that that's great because that that changes the dynamic but it's a slow slow change um, and this is about us as an industry understanding what our true value is mm. where does our, our value if our value is understood um, people understand what we're worth uh, and then they don't question what we're worth if we've demonstrated exceptional value in in everything we do but to get there we haven't got the requisite skills in my view to really um and particularly like in a booming market everyone's got value and everyone thinks it's the results due to them and um you know there's a lot of nonsense being played out but the true value in an agent is where markets change um like we're seeing right now the market's Mm changed um and a lot of people still sticking their head in the sand but it's changed um and therefore as a result of that we need to make sure that you know people understand um you know how we in our role will actually be their trusted guide through this this process and that's what it comes down to is that trusted advisor trusted guide because the guide is that you're on a journey right your property journey never ends um, and when you start to see that side of, of, of your career and seeing that you are in this for the long haul, um, you, you, people start to change their, their perspective on their career. If you like what you're hearing here, please share this episode with others you feel would benefit. And while you're at it, why not leave us an iTunes review? Five stars, please. Every review helps make it easier for other people to find us and hear what our amazing guests have to say. We love hearing your questions and we're planning more listener Q&A episodes. Please send your questions in. You can send them via the website, which is theelephantintheroom.com.au or directly via email to questions at theelephantintheroom.com.au. It's very interesting, this whole idea of reviews, right? And because I, I know in the buyer's agent space, and particularly in a rising market as well, everyone thinks they're a hero. You know, everyone's a god, right? Yeah, yeah. You know, because let's face it, particularly on the investor side, they're all made money. And so it's like, but in a short period of time when everyone's made money, that doesn't make you any better or worse than anybody else. And also in the investor side as well, I'm yet to meet a property investor who says to me, I've done really well with property. And I say, great, how have you measured that? How have you benchmarked that? And they never, I've never had one ever give me an answer because it's like the first time I've ever thought about it. And I'm like, well, you need to benchmark. You need to compare the annual growth rates. You need to compare, you know, what you could have spent the money on. And it's like, so therefore in the buyer's agent space in particular, and surely my clients would be, you know, filling this category as well, they give us a glowing review and that's amazing because we do obviously guide them through a whole process and there's a lot more to it than just acquiring the property. 
right? And a little bit the same is a lot more to it than just selling the property on a sales agent side of things. Um, it's the whole package where people need to, um, you know, you need to look into the reviews to say, well, how much, how much more did they do than just buy it? Yeah. Because in a rising market, it's like acquiring the property seems to be, that's all I'm worried about. I just want to buy. I just want yeah. to buy. Pure miss um, out. Get me in. Yeah. yeah secure it for me. Yeah. yeah. And price becomes not an issue. And well, is it that- the best property for you? Yeah. Let's yeah, try that but, for a yeah. novel concept. <laughs> but look, it's, it is an interesting space where, you know, I, I look at our team and I look at, at you know, how do I, how do I um, make an assessment on their performance um, in, in relation to the client satisfaction? And I read all our reviews and, and, and it tells me it, it opens the window to, to the experience um, because, you know, the, a brand is a promise wrapped in, a, in an experience. You know, that's mm. what our brand is. So, you know, you reverse engineer that back from the experiences to see, you know, how it's been delivered. I look for a whole lot of things in there. Um, and the thing I'm looking for least of all is the mentioning the result, mm. which is interesting, right? I'm looking for the experience they had with our team. And I'm looking for multiple people and multiple services that we've provided, whether it be the styling service or the, the ancillary services around marketing, um, the marketing team, the compliance team, the, the, the sales agent, their assist, all those things. And when I see this multiple um, level of gratitude for the services that we provide and this the whole team, the whole package, that tells me that we're doing the right thing because it's not about the sales agent just negotiating the deal, right? You know, and then it was, it was all that, that, that experience was fantastic, gave me the best possible advice, the experience was fantastic and the result was great. You know, it's, it's almost like in that order of, of um the priority. Uh, sometimes I don't even mention the result. Oh, it was just so wonderful dealing with you guys. You're so friendly and so helpful. It was wonderful. Thank you. <laughs> you know, and, and you go, well, this is what it's actually about. Um, now, we also pride ourselves on the results that we achieve because we are transparent and open and we make sure that people um, are given the opportunity in, in a multiple buyer situation, uh, which has been what's been happening, um, you know, obviously the last few years and, and over a long period of time is that, you know, we're not just dealing often with one buyer. Oh, sure, we are sometimes on the quiet. We just one buyer, bang, deal done, amazing result. But to make sure that we've unearthed every possible buyer, you know, that, that to me is where a great agent really is tested um, to, to ensure that, we know, uh, we haven't, we, we've made that extra five or six phone calls um, when we're about to sell a property or about to do an auction and make sure we've got everyone lined up to, to be there. That, that to me tells me so much. We do a thing within our business called the tail of the sale. Uh, after every property is exchanged, we have this form that everyone fills out. It's compulsory. And they tell us all about what happened. And we share those case studies and we, sh- and we understand, you know, this is what has to be understood if you're actually in that, in that environment to, to understand the nuances of, of how you mm. deal with things. And they're fascinating. And the training that comes out of those for the team to understand that going that extra mile or going above and beyond uh, is, is really seen uh, at its best in that. So that creates a culture um, of service and a culture of performance. Now, you, you talked earlier about there's the difference between, you know, great, a great agent, a mediocre agent and so on. And there's something like 70,000 agents or something in Australia and not all of them are actually driving around in Maseratis, right? Um, but there is a level of obscenity um, in some aspects. You know, there's a, there's a real culture. It's like a subculture within real estate agents of um, like hero worshipping certain type of agents. And, Show and tell. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I observe it. it and it's not all regional based, but like in Sydney, you can you can actually there's a sort of a broad brush type of agent you get in different pockets of Sydney. Um, but this cult of the agent, I was talking to a guy, I was interviewed on a different podcast, a new podcast actually, um, which I can't think of the name of it, but <laughs> anyway. Afterwards, he this guy's a, a, an experienced radio announcer and, and, and I think a journalist, and he said, I am shocked at the amount of real estate agents that I've been interviewing. All I want to do is talk about how successful they are. And he said, I'm telling him this is for consumers. You know, we're actually trying to educate consumers as to what's, you know, mm. what to look for, what to do, what to, whatever. And, and he says to get them to stop performing for each other, Oh, it's extraordinary. It's, it's, yeah. It is obscene. It, it's, it's, it's just ego-driven um, sort of maniacal behaviour that, that I can't comprehend. And that's what I'm saying. There's, there's, there's certain people in this industry that are driven by different things. And um, those people, I just, um, that's all they know. They, this concept of GCI-driven thing, and it's been in the training and it's starting to shift. Um, it's been driven by that, that these people are put up on pedestals mm. and social media has changed all that. And, and look, they have their tribe. They, they've got their industry tribe. They've got their consumer tribe. They've got all these things. They take up a lot of space and it's just a matter of how much o- oxygen that they're, they're given. Now, the media gives them oxygen. You know, the Telegraph's just been putting out the top 50 agents in data. Mm. It's like it's just, it's just the biggest wank festival of all time. And I've, I've just never comprehended it, never played it, never never been involved in it but you know what uh you know young people in this industry um that's what drives them well it they, definitely they attracts this, them it's idle behavior it's idle worship yeah and and it's it's unhealthy um it, it comes at a, at a big price um and they simply don't understand the service concept um and nor do they actually understand the value of the of the opportunity they've been given and the privilege they've been given with a real estate agent's license. That's why I think there's a whole lot of licenses that needs to be taken away from people <laughs> um, to actually say, hey, you better start valuing this thing and provide the service to, um, that has enabled you to get this because being an agent under common law is you are your principal mm. and you are being your principal. So you have to do all things within that line. So I think it's just, it's all been lost in translation um, as to what this is and, and the Lux listings and all that sort of stuff. It all started with that million-dollar agent in America and it's just, yeah. it's just out, of, out of control. But that's society, isn't it, now? Well, society's this is the problem. This is where I'm leading to with this line of, conversation because you know it's the insta the insta generation and it's it's certainly that sort of aspirational this is what my, I want my life to be like and and I know when million dollar listing first came out I watched it as a bit of a freak show in a way and I thought it was really quite funny and sort of enjoyed it because let's face it it wasn't my own city and then all of a sudden yeah. oh shit um there are people that actually aspire to that. it's not fake re- reality no. television this is actually this people do want to be like this and and so but what feeds into this is the consumer. You know, then there's the person that lists their property with the glamour agent. Then there's the person that lists their property with the person with the great slicker sales bill. Then there's the person who falls for all that stuff. And so it's a bit of chicken and the egg, isn't it? Because this is this oh, yeah. is encouraged by consumers. So consumers say they don't trust real estate agents, yet at the same time they're rewarding the behaviour by giving them the business. 
And, you know, part of that is due to the fact that, um, and I remember having one agent here that was of that ilk and is no longer with us who, who kept saying, but I said, you know, the client's not happy with your service, but, but I got the result. <laughs> I said, it's nothing to do with the result, right? You might have got a good result, but your service is appalling. Um, it, it, you have to understand the, the consumer that you're dealing with. Now, having said that, you can have the, the, the cult of personality type consumer who is almost driven by the fact that they want to have the celebrity agent on their property as a, some sort of status symbol. Mm. Society has created the creature and the creature feeds off society. So not a lot we're going to do about that one, unfortunately. People get mm. what they deserve in that space. Yeah. I remember making a decision many, many years ago just to leave all those people behind. I, I, I actually exited a whole upper end of the market because I simply couldn't handle the people I was dealing with. Mm. That was a personal and professional decision that was affecting my well-being and happiness. Um, I just did not want to deal with assholes. So <laughs> I, I made the decision to not deal with assholes. So um, I took a path. Now, you know, what path are people going to take um, is going to be up, up to them and what, how they're going to do it. We're not going to change that in an industry that is that has that such high stakes game. You know, you, you, you start to talk about, you know, $10 million properties now worth $18 million. It's mm. like just all telephone book numbers, you know. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, I'm used to selling $2 million homes. Now I'm selling $4 million homes. Um, do I appreciate, you know, what's, what's been handed to me? I'm getting the keys to someone's greatest asset. Do I actually appreciate the responsibility I've been taking on? If we can start playing into that um, mindset shifts um, and bit by bit, chunk by chunk, um, having some people on, uh, not so much on pedestals, but, but standing up um, who, are, who are doing all the right things, then we start to change who the, who the people look up to. But you know what, Victoria, that's going to be the hardest part of all. You know, all this other stuff that we're doing around the fringes, that the cult of personality is going to be the hardest thing because yeah. society and, and media constantly create these spaces for people to exist in, bachelorettes and things like that. I don't know what they are, but um, <laughs> you know, this is the space that we're in. And it's, but it's, it's like, hollow. It, it's it, just, there's no substance. The substance is the thing that, that is so missing from this industry. And I'm astounded by when people choose an agent and they don't, don't get to discover the substance. They just believe this, the, the froth and bubble, the smoke and mirrors. It's, it's still as rampant as it is. It's, and it's always been there. I started mm. in the 70s for crying out loud, you know. I went through the greed is good in the 80s and they mm. were everywhere. Um, so, yeah, look, it's... Uh, <laughs> Well, it's in the buyer's agent space too. And I can tell oh. you, I've been researching um, recently for another little project that I've got on the boil. And it it actually appears to be in the buyer's agency space that the slickest are the worst in terms of they don't do any due diligence or very little. Um, and they're more about themselves, the cult of personality as well. And they also seem to charge the most. <laughs> that's, well, that's, that's the thing. Yeah. That's blown me away. People just go, oh, that, they must. What they tell me must be right because they're so successful. That's part of the package. Oh, you promote the success. Oh, there's a, they know what they're talking about, and they're dumb. It's they're, selling the sizzle, so not dumb. the sausage. They're so dumb. They go. You ask them a technical question. What's, that's not what I remember. Someone telling me, I don't know. I'm a, I'm a marketer. I don't know those things. I said, no, you're actually a real estate agent. Mm. You're a licensed real estate agent. You're not a marketer. You think you're a marketer. You're just a dumb real estate agent who who just sells the sizzle. Mm. And you know what? Uh, 
again, I... You're not so cynical and, and uh, discouraged that um, that you've given up. So you're still persisting with the pathway to professionalism. Um, I wanted to have this chat with you mainly because I know that you you know you do hold yourself and and I know your team and and you'd like to hold the entire industry to a very high standard. And I also would like to do that. And I think my vision for 2022 uh, is that the people in the industry who give a shit actually have it's obvious where they how they can congregate you know that that's sort of my vision that's how i want to be involved personally for 2022 and then on the flip side of that the consumer that doesn't want to get blinded by the bullshit who actually does want some good advice good guidance can actually know where to go to get that without having to yeah. sift through all the crap and work out for themselves that actually there's a beacon of light out there, if, if you want to call it that, whatever it is, a giant magnet, I don't know. But that's my vision for 2022. That's really where I'm heading this year. Well, it's interesting. I've been, you know, doing a few um, talks like this uh, about, well, what can a consumer do? You know, mm. let, let's talk about that. As a buyer, a buyer has to be really good at ask, asking questions. Now, yes. You mentioned about the rules of engagement. Well, what are the rules of engagement in buying this property? So when, when I get asked that question, I say, well, find out how they're going to negotiate the deal. Mm. Find out um, what what level of transparency exists. Um, don't make any assumptions. Um, and, and I, you know, I've got the Dumbo thing for you as well. Oh, good. Um, <laughs> uh, so... You know, and that's again, it's about assumptions. You know, let's let's just make sure that we that we we're not um, getting caught short um, on on actually having to um, interpret mm. what's going on, right? And that's really what it is. And for for sellers, it's it's not about who sells the most or who's got the. Tr- it, it, it's about what are you going to do for me in finding buyers, activating buyers nurturing buyers, negotiating with buyers and helping them buy my property. Tell me what you're going to do there because that's the most important thing. And they don't ask those questions. They go, Mm. show me what you've sold. Show me your marketing. Show me all the stuff above the surface but where what goes on below the surface is the most important, which is how you work and why you, you know, do you know actually why you're doing what you're doing? That's the bit that, that we try and sell to our clients and say, you know, the main reason you actually know engage an agent to sell your property one find the best buyers help them fall in love with your property and live their dreams that's what you do that's our find love live by the way that's Mm. where it comes from um because that's what we actually do and understand that that's the most important thing i can go and sell a property in arncliffe just as well as the local agent can um if you give me the the tools to do it you know that's the reality of what a professional agent should be able to do Uh, it's not driven by this or that or, or the or the the concept of what they think. Oh, you've sold the most, so you've got the most buyers. Buyers don't follow agents, as you know. No, I know they don't. It, it does make me laugh when you go, oh, I've got the greatest database. It's like those buyers, if they're active on everyone's database, who uses that database and who actually works with those buyers, et cetera, et cetera. And I yep. do love that that question that a lot of vendors will ask us, well, how many properties like mine have you sold? And yeah. it's like, okay, what's the real question underneath that? That's yeah. you, <laughs> It doesn't matter. And yeah. Oh, look, I had a client recently who said to me, um, you know, they had a budget. Well, they, their budget actually increased quite substantially throughout the process and through their own, you know, fortune really. But um, And they said to me at one point, you know, how many, how many like, don't want to be rude, Veronica, but like how, how many clients do you have that can spend more than $10 million? And I'm like, well, 
never a lot in one hit. That's true. Mm. Um, but the thing is that if I bought a property for $7 million a year ago, it's worth 10 now anyway, pretty much. Um, prices rise. You know, there's always that relativity in the market. You know, whatever selling for 10 million today was selling for 5 million um, few, you know, maybe 10 years ago. But it's the agents are the same. <laughs> they play the, exactly the same tricks. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. Whether I've got 1 million or 10 million, you know, they it, it's the other buyers do behave slightly differently at different price brackets. There's no doubt about that. So it's understanding what might be on the other end of the transaction. But fundamentally, you know, I've got to work with an agent to get you a property and they, they're they the same animals, the same, same beasts. Animals. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, like again, that that whole consumer. We we did a survey last year, and we found that on the surface, consumers sort of thought they knew about forty percent of what they needed to understand about you know embarking on a property transaction, uh, and probably sixty percent they didn't really fully understand. When surveyed at the end of it, it came down to that what they didn't know they didn't know was sixty percent, and that other group fell into the forty percent. So what they actually really knew was less than twenty percent. So this is the thing: yes. this unknown, making the um, invisible visible, making the unknown known. You know, that's the tips for buyers and sellers: is don't, don't just look at the surface of this. You know, that, that's where the games are played. The reality sits below the surface. Can you share that report with me? Yeah, 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 well, yeah. Great. We'll pop the link in the show notes if that's yeah, all right with you. Yeah, guys, it's a great little chart that we've created from. Oh, I love it because it's yeah. true. And, and and my other podcast, which is your first home buyer guide with Megan Wells, and we do talk about the whole your first home buyer guide course and everything is all about you don't know what you don't know. Yeah. And once you start peeling it back, it's like, oh right, oh, I really don't know much. So I love the fact that you've you've researched that. So John, do you have a Dumbo for us? I do look. It's a, it's an interesting one that it's 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 been around for a long, long time. It's it's the it's the the buyer making the assumptions about the way the property is going to be left at settlement. Oh yes. Um, <laughs> and you know we had a case recently. It wasn't case, but a situation recently where the settlement got changed. It was brought forward, and no one told us. Um, and we have a system where we go through a process of getting the settlement date and then two weeks before the, the scheduled settlement date, we check in with everyone, mm. right? And two weeks before the scheduled settlement, we get a phone call from the buyer saying, oh, we're settling today. Um, you guys haven't arranged a final inspection with me yet. <laughs> and we went, um, well, early. <laughs> we haven't been notified the yeah. settlement's been changed and we're happy to do so, but... We haven't told the owner um, and that settlement's tomorrow. Um, so we arranged it with the owner to do a final inspection. So there hadn't been any setup. One, we go through a process of checking in with the owner, right, let's make sure you've got the place ready, done. We go there, and the place is littered with stuff under the house, right? <laughs> yes. um, and so the owner's expectation is, well, that's not the contract. I don't have to take it out. The buyer's expectation is that you need to take it out. So my tip is for the Dumbo of the Week is, Never make an assumption on that. Never make an assumption that the um, dishwasher works, that the stove works, that the air conditioning works, or the awning thing works. Um, do your due diligence and check those things prior to exchange of contracts. Now, I know with buyers agents, you go through that with them uh, to make sure that, you know, let's True, make sure. But it's yeah. even difficult as a buyers agent because particularly in a hot market, you don't have time to check no, that stuff. No. And that and, was the case in this. It was a hot yeah. He bought it like in a flash. and But then he was like ballistic about it, you mm -hmm. know. And it's like we, the reality is 
Um, and he's, well, surely, but surely you would, surely you would. And it was like, well, no, we, we have a process. We check two weeks before to we make sure that this is what it is. And that's actually tomorrow was the time we're going to call you and the vendor and do all our, our things. Um, and so, yeah, it's a, why get into a bun fight when you don't need to by just actually thinking about, well, what's my expectation of what I would want? Did I look under the house to see what was under there? Um, all these things mm. is, again, assumptions. Be very careful of them. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, we we let our clients know that that you at, at the point of exchange in New South Wales, that is, um, you're buying it in the con- in the condition that it's at, right? Yep. And yes, if the dishwasher doesn't work, there's a risk. If we haven't gone through and tested everything, which which to be quite frank is impractical to do, yeah, yeah. Um, and and so you need to have an awareness as a possibility. But the under the house stuff that <laughs> we literally bought a property a couple of weeks ago where there was in the clause that uh, in the on the front page in the inclusions that had builders materials under the house as an inclusion so of course i'm going to go there and have a look and go what does that exactly mean is it yeah. just rubble or is it actually yeah. tiles and paint and stuff turned yeah. out it was tiles and paint and stuff but it yeah. was just funny that's the first time i've ever seen it as an inclusion well we go through it with a you know when we list a property to say is the dishwasher working is the air conditioner working is it you know let's just find mm. out what these things are so that, again we don't get caught out at yeah the um, and in this one, it was one of those ones that was listed and sold within a week, um, and no one looked under the house. No. Um, and normally that would have been done in, in a normal process. But, yeah, interesting one. Again, it's, it's, it's like now that we're getting into a more maybe potentially stabilised market, um, yeah, just be aware of your assumptions. Very, very, very true. John, thank you so much for your time. I really Absolute appreciate it. And, you know, I love the fact that you are indefatigable, you know, like you do not <laughs> lose your positive outlook and you <clears throat> haven't given up. And I really, I appreciate that, um, you know, because I'm a little bit the same in some regards, although I haven't gone out there and smashed my head against a brick wall <laughs> trying to drag oh, the oh, entire gun. Banging your head doesn't actually work. No. Um, but, you know, just accepting the fact that, you know, people are going to disappoint you, people are going to lead you up a garden path, which, you know, is the case. But it doesn't matter, you know, two steps forward, one step back, you just keep plodding along and then I'll hand it over to someone else to see how they go. So um, we'll see where we end up. <laughs> Fantastic. Thank you very much, John. It's a pleasure. Thanks, Veronica. If you're looking to buy your dream home or an investment property in Sydney's inner west, eastern suburbs or North Shore, my team and I can help you buy without regrets. Reach out via my website, gooddeeds.com.au. If you're looking to buy your first home, thinking of upgrading into a new one or purchasing an investment property anywhere in Australia, my team love to carefully guide you on this journey and most importantly, get the finance right. Reach out via our website, wealthful.com.au. Thanks for joining us. We'd love to see you again. And remember, don't be a dumbo.